All right, here we go. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to Everything You Need to Know About Music, where I am here with my friend Scott. Scott, say hello. Hey, how you doing? And we are going to talk about something different tonight. And I did this on purpose for you because <laughs> I look at you as such a music nerd like me. I'm a music nerd, yes. But a deep music nerd. And so I took oh, a yeah. shot. I took a real shot with this one because I didn't do a band or an artist, so to speak. Hmm. I did a place. A musical place. Kind of. Not like Red Rocks. <laughs> no. Not a place where one goes to perform. So I did a pink house. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, good. Okay, I know so, where you're going with this. Do you? All right, so I'm going to title this one Songs from Big Pink. Okay. And it's kind of going to be partly Bob Dylan. Okay. And partly the band. Right. And so I want to talk about that very specific period of time where there was this house where Good. a ton of music oh, yeah. was created that I think not only made a new genre, but changed music history forever. You're talking about when they uh, recorded and started, uh, all these little guys would get together, yeah, party and come yeah. up with this little, yeah. Yeah. That's where uh, Crosby, Stills, and Nash. All of it. And, uh, yeah, the, the, the tree that comes off of it mm-hmm. is incredible. And I think we'll get to some of that, but I thought I would nerd out a bit on this. And I, I hesitated doing this because <clears throat> there's so many people with so many opinions about Bob and this genre and folk rock. Folk rock is a tough it's, it's a tough. tough genre. And I'm not I'm not like really well versed in it, but I know what I know. Yeah, well I don't think anybody is actually well versed <laughs> unless they were involved in it. You might be right. Yeah, you I might think, be right. Yeah, I think that's the only way to have actually been a part of it. So I didn't know where to really start, but I thought we'd start yeah. with, with Dylan. So Robert Allen Zimmerman. <laughs> Born May 21st, 1941 in Minnesota. This small little, like, meek Jewish kid Mm -hmm. from the middle of the the country just has, for some reason, this this passion for music and... Poetry. Poetry. Yeah, it's exactly the word I was just going to say. It's so Mm -hmm. funny you say that. Yeah, it's it, he was more of a poet or a novelist. Yeah. A short story novelist than he was uh, a musician, and he was able to put it to music. Exactly. So he starts playing in these, like, pickup bands in, in high school and, and just after. And, wait, I got a quote here. I want to read it. It says, um, he said, the, th- the thing about rock and roll music that just wasn't for me because it wasn't enough. There were great catchphrases and driving rhythms but the songs weren't serious, and they didn't reflect any realistic way of life, which I thought was pretty well said. That's exactly him. Like, he's, he's almost too serious. Like, he's, th- there's, there's more in a Bob Dylan song than in some novels. There's almost too much. There's almost too much. There's too much because a lot of people don't get to appreciate Bob Dylan because they don't listen to music anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're right. And that's, yeah. that's the biggest issue. The stuff that he was writing was so far before, uh, before his time yeah. or beyond his time that people didn't have a chance to sit down and understand these stories that he was telling. And because of his, his writing, which people like Jimi Hendrix, yep. 
uh, yep. Janis Joplin. I mean, all these other people that came after th- that generation started writing stories yeah. instead of songs. Yeah. Which is interesting that you brought that up because yeah, see, that's where I'm going to go cool. with my stories. Wait, you're, who you're going to do? Your yeah. part? Okay. All right. So wait. That's what the exactly other... the reason that Bob Dylan, what Bob Dylan did was he opened up the door. The stuff that he was talking about with how the music was, right. was rhythms. Basically, and I don't mean to use this as a bad example, but like Beatles music, right. which is basically following that basic pattern of a chorus, you know, yeah. a, a lead in, a chorus, first chorus, a, a first bridge, chorus, refra- stop. Yeah, 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 they yeah. did that yeah. same thing. It sure. was just a Traditional. pattern, catchphrases, yeah. just yeah. like he said. Yeah. It wasn't until after Dylan started doing it. I mean, like a Rolling Stone, which is one of, it's actually the most popular song of all time. Dude, you're jumping all over my stuff right now. <laughs> Seriously, you're getting so far ahead of me. It's crazy. But you're right. That's fine. I'm, let's just yeah, go there. I'm you're so absolutely sorry. right. That's no, no, true. no. Because let's, let's go to the early 60s. Let's talk about it. Because he was a voice of this new generation. Yeah. Like, he was, he was a prophet in a way. Like, he brought this rebellious counterculture, <clears throat> this like protest music to the forefront. He actually brought in. He's he's what the uh, he's what you would have considered in the '90s alternative rock. His music would yeah. have been Nirvana. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. That's fair to say. But even more so in a sense that this culture that was being created right after '63, right when like it was really starting to get bad, when Kennedy gets assassinated, the music starts to change, and 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 this folk like Greenwich Village hobo, smart, poetic kind of music gets started. But he's this voice of, like, the generation. And it's all of this, all of the, the, the traditional stuff that you're talking about, like the very simple lines and simple phrases, albeit very good music, oh, yeah. there was no depth. There was no real complexity. I call it, like, this is adult music. Like, this is deep. Like, yeah, adult, you got to really work for it. Adult temporary. <laughs> but you're not... You're yeah, not you, you don't work for Wooly Wooly. <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. But you really got to try. And almost sometimes too much. You can't just sit there and like haphazardly or just lazily listen to it. Like it's involved. It's, oh, yeah. It's involved like that's big the, music. That's the tough part. Nowadays, kids, the, the children of this generation that listen to music, right. you couldn't sit them down long enough to listen to a full Bob Dylan album. No, I don't think so. Unless Which you is told sad them, in some, wait, some unless, ways. It is. But, but wait, unless you told them there was a specific underlying reason that exactly. this thing was created, I couldn't put it on and just not have any backstory to it. I agree with that. You couldn't, mix, you couldn't put it as a mixtape. No. You couldn't play <laughs> no. it in the background. <laughs> no. Bob Dylan's no. not music for parties. <laughs> no, you're not throwing that in or sprinkling it in. All right, so let's do this. Let's Before we actually get to where I want to go, I want to play a couple of things from Bob just because I want to set the tone of where he was, and then I want to start my whole thing that we're doing here with where he went. So let's go back to where he was for a second. So let's just let's, let's look at, like, for example, okay? Like, I know you know the song, but this is Bob, right? Oh, yeah. This was the music that they're playing. This was what he stood for. Right. This is also stuff that Jerry Jeff Walker and people like John Prime, yeah. they were also recording. Yeah. But nobody was listening as loud as they were when they right. listened. To yeah. Right. He was the reason that they were doing this stuff. Yeah. Him, Joan Baez, these civil, right prote- civil rights protesters, like... Th- they finally Beats, had a the soapbox. Like they, they exactly, exactly. They, they were saying something. Or, I mean, this one, obviously. I mean, like a Rolling Stone. I mean, this is kind of where he was at 
before, like 63, 64, 65. Once upon a time, you dressed so fine, threw the bumps of dime in your prime. Then you. I'm not, and by the way, I'm not even at song one yet. I'm trying to, I'm going to try to do this in three songs, and I'm not even there yet. But I just want to set, <laughs> I just want to set the tone, right? I just want to give you an idea of kind of where he was. Like, Positively Fourth Street, one of my favorite songs ever. Yeah. Ugh. Suck, but listen, listen to the song the way it's constructed. You got a lot of nerve. I say you are my friend. When I was down, you just just simple, but there's there's poetry in it. There's he's saying something. He means the something. The keyboards, yeah, right. make the songs. Yeah, he actually added. He, you're talking about almost adding church music to rock yeah. and roll music yeah. and making it work. Yeah. Yeah, you're still right. All right, so let me get to it. All right, so I was gonna I was gonna give you a couple. Of, I'm not gonna do that. No, I was gonna get to it. I'm excited now. So, at the peak of his career, okay, like think about this. Times they are a change in 1964. Then yes. he comes out with another the side of Bob song. Dylan in 1964. Rainy Day Women, come on. Oh, it's so good. You're sorry. <laughs> I, I, I'm skipping so many songs, and I'm gonna get so much crap from Dylan people that are like, you should have done this. Out, there's too you many. You should have said there. this. You should have done that. But I'm trying to go quick to just one very specific period of time. 1965, bringing it all back home. We're going to get that. Highway 61. In 1967, think about this. This is how accomplished he was. In 1967, he comes out with a Greatest Hits album. Mm -hmm. Like, that's how big he was from 63, 62, 63 to 65, 66, 67. Yeah, and that wasn't him. That's the music producer. But think about that, though. You've got enough enough stuff to do that, which is just absolutely insane. So at the peak of his career, okay, at the height of popularity as this leader of this acoustic folk protest movement, as this quiet, guitar-playing, harmonica-playing poet, he decides, screw all of that and go electric. So I want to talk about that particular time. He wasn't the only one that did that at that point. No, but for him (laughs) to do it, though, was like a huge, huge deal. So in March of 1965, he records an album called Bringing It All Back Home. And on the A side of the album is a electric side and on the B side of the album is all the acoustic sides. So he cr- tried I think to kind of warm his way into it. But yeah. he decided just to go electric, which is unheard of, which is like you're basically uh, uh, letting down all of these people that were these folk acoustic kind of beatniks. And he just does he, he absolutely just goes Fully, uh, fully electric. So, song number one, the song I want to do first, is one of my favorites from him, and that is Subterranean Homesick Blues. Redone by more people than you know. I'm sure. Listen to this. Listen to the electric. John is in the basement, mixing up the medicine. I'm on the pavement, thinking about the government. The man in a trench coat, bad job laid off. Says he's got a bad call, wants to get it paid off. Look out, kid, it's something you did. I mean, come God on. When, you you ever heard the Chili Peppers version of this? I have not. Yeah, is that, there that's another story. Really? So instead of singing, he almost has this, like, rap. This, like, fully, that's exactly what it is. fully poetic I mean, there's more in here, in my opinion, in two minutes and 20 seconds, these four verses, than in some, like, you could teach a philosophy class on this song. There's so much in here, it's absolutely insane. And it contains one of my favorite lines of all time. And it's coming up 
Right here. Right here. I mean, just line after line after line. That is true. Yeah. <laughs> so he has this blend of almost like there's a little bit of Chuck Berry in there. There's a little bit of still his poetic beatnik kind of philosophy stuff. But you got that electric guitar he back there. It up. Yeah. He picked it up a little bit so that yeah. he could kind of get into that groove of the new new music that was coming. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> and still keep his home, keep his roots. John Lennon reported that he saw he found this song to be so captivating and so poetic, he didn't think he could ever write a song to compete with it. This one. I love that. That makes me so Jimmy happy. Hendrix said the same thing. He he was uh, he was always uh, sorry that he was when he recorded all along the Watchtower that he could never do justice that Bob Dylan yeah. did with his song. Yeah. And people still think that Jimi Hendrix wrote the song. I know it's, the, it's more so popular, big, it's the more popular it's version. It's the more popular yeah. version. But Jimi Hendrix said yeah. it was nothing compared sure. to his. Yeah. Um, Bruce Langhorn is uh, the guy who plays the electric guitar on this track, and he used to play this giant Turkish tambourine, like a huge, huge thing with these bells that would hang off of it. And he played it because he used to just kind of like the way that it sounds. So he was like one of these Greenwich Village musicians that would just kind of be in a pickup band wherever he could. But Dylan really liked the way he played it, played electric guitar. But he is also the inspiration for this song. Because he was the tambourine man. And this is on side B of the same album. Electric on one side, acoustic on the other. So Dylan, in 1965, decides he's going to go on tour. A world tour, like a huge tour. And he gets booed. Everywhere he goes, people are so pissed. So he tries to do a little bit of the acoustic, and every time he picks up that Fender Telly that he used to play, which I love, he'd get booed. I mean booed to the point where it was, like, awful. People were getting so pissed off that they would buy tickets just to purposefully walk out so that there'd be, like, an empty crowd of people that he was playing to. They were pissed. protest. Yeah, exactly. And he, after about a year, got really upset like it really started to bother like most musicians at that particular point that's the reason that's, that i can get into a big argument about this but a lot of musicians at that point were the point where they were just realizing that when you tour you have to play a song yeah. a thousand times yeah yeah and people like hendrix janice joplin morrison all of them were having problems with this including bob dylan they didn't like to go out and tour, and they wanted. To, they loved the songs that they people like, but they wanted to play other songs. Sure, and they weren't able to do that. And no, because the crowd ruined. Came yeah, and you know that's one of the reasons the Beatles didn't tour. As You're much. right. They they said, and I've I've said this so many times before. <clears throat> the, the, the famous quote: "We could be wax figures up there." They didn't come to hear the music. They just want to hear they those songs. They came to see famous people. They came to see these guys play the songs that they love on the radio, and it, it's not the same. There's only a thing. few people that can really make that work. Jimmy Buffett is a perfect example sure. of that. Yeah. Shows up everywhere and does the same songs that he's been playing for the last 40 years. Yeah. And that's why he knows what works. Yeah, he gives the crowd exactly what they want. Yeah, and that's, that's what. And people, when Bob Dylan did that stuff, he would, people were mad because they wanted to hear the songs that 
he used to do that were yeah. popular, yeah. not those new stuff. In the way, like with that passion and that fire and the protest that he had. And he was like, I, I want to play like folk rock. Another good example of his particular generation would be Neil Young. Yeah. He did the exact same thing. And it was because of Bob Dylan's inspiration. When he went electric, people booed him <sighs> all the time, too. You're they so, couldn't you're so getting ahead of me. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's okay. So it's right. No, you're stepping on my toes. <laughs> it's all right. I love it. All right. So at the climax of this, he went to, uh, he went to the UK. And, and it, it, what really bothered him, someone yelled out, Judas, like... You've betrayed, like, like, like he's he's killing these people. Like, it, like everything they they were. He was a prophet. He was a god to them, and he basically turned. But I wanted to say that because he always right at the top of his game. If you look at the history of Bob Dylan, and I don't know too too much about him, but every time that at the peak of when he he went and did something else, every time he was like at his pop most popular, he changed. He went away when. When he went into seclusion, which we're going to get to, it was at the height of his popularity. When he was, when he was supposed to go left, he always went right. When the when when the media would ask him a certain question about something that he, in order to be, he would he would lie to them. He he would always do the opposite. He learned how to work the media. He yeah, he did, yeah he really did. That's why he came out with the traveling wilburys. Yeah, I'm not stepping on your no, toes. You, sorry, not, actually, I know what it's fine. I wasn't going to mention that because I didn't go. I didn't go that far. You should go that far. I should. All right, all right. So. <clears throat> Uh, he finally breaks down in 1966, July of 66. He returns to New York, upstate New York, and he just wants to rest. And he gets into a motorcycle accident. So he's kind of confined. Now, he's 25 years old. Like, I don't know why I always think of Dylan at this time as, like, an aged, mature person. He's 25 years old, for crying out loud. Yeah, but that's because of the music that he that wrote. Is? so surpassed everything. You don't think about the fact that he was, like, 18, 19. No, I know. I know. I, I think of him as just so advanced. And somebody was smart enough to actually record him and put him on out and put albums out and send him out. Incredible. All right, he goes into reclusion, like literally upstate, right in Woodstock, New York. He just he doesn't do he doesn't go anywhere. He doesn't go on the road again from 1966 to 1974. Doesn't go anywhere. Doesn't do it. So what does he do? So the band that backed him up during those shows where he was going electric was in fact. The band, which is awesome. Yeah, so yeah. here's where here's yeah. where I really want to go. This is what I really want to talk about. So he has these guys: Robbie Robertson, mm-hmm. Richard Manuel, Rick Danko, Garth Hudson, and Levon Helm. Mm-hmm. Okay, the band as his backup band, as the guys that are touring with him. So he, they rent a house a little ways away in upstate New York, and it's this little. Pink house. So this is what I want to talk about. And I brought this for you. Hold on. This is the picture of the house. So what I'm showing you is songs from Big Pink. This album was made. That's the house. You see the picture of it. That's the house. So what they did is they would get together and they would just play music. So Dylan would come over to this pink house where the band was. And he would literally sit on the typewriter smoke and drink and they would all just like hang out and have fun then they'd go down to the basement and they would just record so now they've found and and they actually well let me back up so they made what's called the basement tapes and there's an album that came out i believe in 1968 maybe 67 late 67 68 that has all of these raw rare recordings called the basement tapes and a lot of them are covers but some of them are just dylan's like ramblings 
And they're absolutely phenomenal. Oh, yeah. They're, if they're fantastic. Here's an example of one of the basement tapes. This is called All You Have to Do is Dream. And listen to that. That's Garth on the keyboard right there. If the has no silo, and it's raw and it's poor quality. And they're literally in a basement with rugs down, just fooling around. Which makes it the greatest. Oh, it's so great. So during this time, they come out with these songs that are like, for example, and I mean they come out with it, I shouldn't say that. They're just fooling around and he's screwing around and making songs like this. You're going to say, I don't know this song necessarily, but I, you will in a second. Everybody's in despair, every girl and boy. But when Quinn the Eskimo gets here, everybody jump for joy. Right? Come on I mean, just simple, folky music. So what happens? These records start to get out. Because they started making some of these on acetate, and they would go... They, Kind of yeah. record them in order to practice over them, this is, and they would go and they'd go out. And what would happen is other bands would get them. Hey, I got a Dylan bootleg. They go like these were the like original bootlegs. So what happened was Man for Man gets a piece of that, and they go, Hey, can we make that song? And Dylan goes, Yeah, take it. Yeah, you know what else came and from this, this particular? Wait, the tree is enormous of all of the songs that came from here. One so, of the biggest songs is played right now. Yeah, Wagon Wheel. No. Wagon Wheel. Really? Yeah, Wagon Wheel. Bill, Dylan wrote the uh, chorus to that song, and then he gave it up because he didn't have anything to do with it. And actually, the writer, if you look it up, is actually somebody else. I can't remember the name of the band that did it, but he was the one that wrote the chorus to it really? during this particular incident oh, that you're on. talking yeah. about. And it was just stagnant for years. It just had that chorus Wagon wheel part. Holy smokes! And then years on, it went on, and, and somebody took it. I, I can't name it. The, I can't think of the band right now. Darius Rucker? Rucker. Oh yeah. Sure. When he did yeah. it, now he actually heard his daughter doing it during a school play. And when they were doing it during the play, he said to his wife, "I'm going to record that on my next." No, song. that's cool. And that's how the song came. Oh, out. that's really cool. And now it's real popular. Of course, Dylan had something to do with that again from the Pink House. That's crazy. That's very cool. <clears throat> so. Oh, I want to say it was 130-something songs and, and parts of songs and multiple takes of all of these songs that finally were uh, put together and then released. But during that time, what these two groups, I shouldn't say groups, but what Dylan and the band, they, they found this symmetry. They found this, like, rhythm. They were just, everything they did was just in sync. And if you listen to these tapes, if you have a moment to just... And it's on iTunes. It's on. It's on. You know, all the major uh, uh, streaming services. The harmonies that they hit, the places that they go, and you got to remember, they're just screwing around. Like they're in a basement. They're not like recording this. There's just a microphone in the middle of the room, and where they go and what they do is just exceptional. And even some of the improvisational stuff that they do is musically incredible. Like they just, it just worked. And I say all of that because I really believe that that's how the band honed their skills to then be the band that they were yeah. after Dylan left. I, I agree with that, but I believe Dylan had a lot to do with it. Oh, yeah, yeah. They, totally. And the things that it, the reason that they did so well is because the, the band themselves and Dylan and the other 
members that showed up to the Pink House. Yeah. They had so much music in them that they had to put (gasps) out that this was just a great release for them without having to have a record company over top of you saying, okay, we want this to make this sound. We want this to be like this. These guys could do whatever they wanted to. There was a lot of bands that were doing that at the time, but only a few were able to make it actually work. Sure. Yeah. The Dead did it for years. The Grateful Dead with all their old bootleg stuff. Yeah. And they had every musician playing with them. Oh, that's wild. And I'll guarantee you Dylan would play with them a couple times. Wow. That's cool. All right, so let's go let's go to the album. <clears throat> let's go to songs from Big Pink. So Dylan says, Look, you've got all this material, you've got all this music, because they were writing their own stuff too when Dylan wasn't around. So they finally put together what they thought was enough material for an album. And Dylan Dylan said, oh, great, let's do it. And he goes, and they, he, they wanted Dylan to sing on it. But Dylan's like, no, you guys need to do this by yourself without me. But what I will do is I will paint for you the cover of your album. So if you look at the cover of the album, it is painted by Bob Dylan. Oh, yeah. And there's six musicians because he painted himself in it mm-hmm. instead of the five band members, which I think is really cool. Yeah, so Dylan's did. still there. That's his way of putting himself <laughs> into the oh, yeah. whole mix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wasn't going to be without it, but he, he's, he's there. He's just there in a different way. So the, the song, song number three, song that I, that I have to play is The Wait. Right? I mean, come on. I pulled Right? One of the best songs ever? Yeah, that's why this song is the uh, beginning of the end game. It's a Marvel movie. Is it? Oh my God. (laughs) That's how popular this is. It hurts my feelings. (laughs) (laughs) I pulled into Nazareth, by the way. So this song is written by Robbie Roberts. And he called Nazareth, pulled into Nazareth because that's where his Martin guitar was made. His 1951 Martin D28. Come on, listen to that. Number 41 on the uh, Rolling Stone 500 Greatest Songs of All Time. And I agree with that. I think it deserves that. Oh, easy. That's fair. Easy, easy. Okay. Um, They were the first American group to ever appear on the cover of Time Magazine. These guys were huge because I think they have what Dylan didn't have which was a culmination of a few other genres too like classic rock some gospel some blues I mean there's even a little like Cajun in there no bad right I think so look at the inside of the album like think about this this is 1968 and these guys this was this was the type this was the time when the culture the doors were saying don't don't talk to anyone that's over 30. Like, that's that generation, and they don't get it, and we're the new... And here they are. The next going, of kin. Yeah, the next of kin. They got their whole family in there. They're like, no, no, no. This is where we come from. This is our friends. This is our family. We're all together in this. They're all sitting on a bench over there. Like, they're clearly different. This is something different than what was going on with this psychedelic late 60s rock and roll. This is new. This was different. Totally, right? So Ringo Starr tells a story that he was staying at the Plaza Hotel, and by chance, George Harrison was there as well, as was Jimi Hendrix, as was Eric Clapton. And Clapton comes into the room where they all were hanging out, and he goes, 
you guys got to hear this song. Like, you got to come and hear this album that I had. And he had one of these, the, uh, a copy of this album. And Clapton has said that it, it kind of like pissed him off because it was where he wanted music to go. Exactly. It's where he wanted it's to be. It's where he wanted to be. Yeah. And he left Cream right around the same time. He was like, no, that's, that's old. We're going to go this way now. We got to make music that actually means something and says something. He actually went to the Pink House and, and wanted to be a part of the band. But he never asked. Yeah, because he didn't. He, he's never. He's always had a problem thinking he was good enough. Yes. Eric Clapton's yeah, this, yeah, had a like horrible. Ego, like he's just always thought he was. The, yeah. That's why he named the album Slowhan when he made that album because he never thought he was a never fast he enough was, good right. guitarist to be yeah. actually uh, recognized. And that's so funny. That's crazy. And yet he's one of the best ever to oh, do yeah. it. Oh yeah. Oh by far. So, and him, him, Harris, they're all like this is where music really should be and where it needs to go. So I think because of what came from this house, when you think of all of the covers, all of the people, you talk about all along the Watchtower, you talk about, we talk about the birds. I mean, look at the birds. The birds and all of the songs that they made, I mean, it's because of the Dylan stuff that they covered. Specifically, when you look at what they covered, they literally took Dylan songs, oh, yeah. right? And, and made themselves, they were an American band. Remember, David Crosby's in there. I mean, a lot of guys, right? They made themselves sound a little British and a yeah, little folky. Because that was the to way to go. bridge the gap, that's, right? That's the only way. To, that was the only thing that made it work. Right. Back then, at that time, British sound made yes. it good. You almost had to have a British accent when yes. you sang, just so you can get over yeah. that yes. little hump. Yeah, but all these lyrics, all this stuff, all these hooks, that's all Dylan. That's literally Dylan's song. Now, the sad thing is, is, like, sometimes when you go back to Dylan's version, when I first heard it, I'm like, oh, it doesn't do anything for me. It's not as good. Now? Now, yeah, but I'm you like, appreciate it much oh, more. Oh, my God. Now I get it. But, it's, but this kid's 24 when he makes this song. Yeah, How nobody, is that possible? Who's, who's going to be able to be able to listen to it and actually appreciate it at that point? Yes. Okay, fair. But he didn't make it for 40, He did it for himself. He did it for himself. That's my point. He almost made it for people that didn't even appreciate it yet. You know what I'm saying? He was yeah, that, I, that ahead of himself. I feel, I feel like that's part of it, but a lot of it's because, again, when I said earlier, he, he had music in him yeah. that had to escape. Yeah. Certain, music, certain musicians and artists, <clears throat> like uh, Michelangelo used to always say that when he sculpted, the uh, images were always in the in the rock. He just had He'd to chip away out. the pieces. Yeah, that's great. So Dylan was the same way. He had music that just had to be created. He just needed a place to put it. So, so he just found different venues and different genres and different places to put it. And he, every place that he touched was, was different things. And just like you said, when he went off to solitude, he came out and, retw- and did different things. Totally. The traveling will be. Yeah, different right. things with the band. Yeah. I mean, he's still doing stuff. Uh, right? I mean, think about that. Do you know, he's got... His son... He's got 71, by the way, 71 albums he made. 71. One as soon as last year. (laughs) You gotta be kidding me. All right, I'll give you one more just because because, uh, you brought it up. When the first time I ever heard this song, I was like blown away. Now you're playing Jimmy Hendrix. I am. Hold on. I'm gonna do it first. I was gonna (laughs) go the other way, but I heard it as a guitar song. Right? As a guitar player. It has to be. If it's Jimmy Hendrix. It has to be, right? It has to be, right? He cannot do a song. And I'm like, wow, this is kind of cool lyrics, whatever, didn't really care. Because he had to make it Jimi Hendrix's song. Correct. But But when you listen to Bob's version. It's insanely, beautifully incredible. And it's, I don't even know the number of times better 
It is. And it, but listen, just, it's got that wailing harmonica that's almost annoyingly good. There must be some way out of here. Come on. Say the joker to the thief. There's too much confusion. I can't get no relief. All right. Two more things and then I'm going to stop because I can just go on like this forever. You're not boring me. All right. Nobel <laughs> Prize for Literature. Okay. Hmm. Don't get started on his awards. Ten Grammys, one Academy Award, one Golden Globe, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Nashville Songwriters Hall of Fame. Because he did go country, by the way, for a little while, just for the hell of it. I can, I can do that, too. I'm not going to bring that up. Uh, Songwriters Hall of Fame, Medal of Freedom, Medal of Freedom, okay, from Obama in 2012. And Time Magazine, 100 most p- uh, important people of the 20th century. Of the entire 20th century, he's ranked as one of the 100 most important people. I mean, that's absolutely incredible. Another biographer had said that Elvis may not have ever been born, but somebody surely would have brought rock and roll to the world. But no such logic accounts for what Bob Dylan did. That's and I think that's fair. Oh, yeah. As, as much as I love Elvis and love rock and roll. A lot of times, a lot of these artists, like you were mentioning, are Elvis and rock and roll. These are artists that were at the right place at the right time. Sure. Yeah. We were at the right place at the right time when yeah. Bob Dylan came yeah. around. Yeah, that's, that's, that's good. I really like that. So where does the band go after all of this, after songs from Big Pink? They come out with their second album called The Band. So they have The Band coming out with The Band, who was the backup band. (laughs) (laughs) And they come out with... And this album is unbelievable. came out in 1969. They record this one... They tried to do some recordings in a studio in New York City. didn't work out because it didn't have the feel. It didn't have the vibe of the small clubhouse kind of basement that they had back in Big Pink. So what do they do? They rent out a beach house in California. And whose beach house do they rent out? Sammy Davis Jr.'s. And they record this album, The Band. Yeah. One more, one more. Oh, maybe the best track off the entire album. Uh. When I get off of this mountain, you know where I want to go. I mean, oh, come on. Straight down the Mississippi River to the Gulf of Mexico. Listen to that jump. Lake Charles, Louisiana, little Bessie girl I once knew. Just one, just give me ten more seconds for the harmony of the night. I mean, you get, look, you give me any song that they can actually incorporate yodeling into and make it work, and you, you, you got me. You sold me, right? Can we can we just do ten seconds of the yodeling? Come on. Alright, I'll stop. I'll stop. <laughs> and so I'm gonna give you one more. So better be my favorite. Oh, how could that be? I mean, he's got so many songs, there's no way it's gonna be. But I'm gonna take a shot. So he doesn't start, he doesn't leave um, his seclusion until very later. In 1974, and in 1975, he makes an album called Blood on the Tracks, okay? And I think this is my favorite Bob Dylan song. 
So I'm going to go out with this one. He made 10 songs. The number one song on the album was Tangled Up in Blue, which mm. is fantastic. Mm-hmm. But number nine is Shelter from the Storm. So I'm going to say thanks so much for listening. And we'll see you next time. One of toil and blood When blackness was a virtue The road was full of mud I came in from the wilderness A creature void of form Come in, she said, I'll give you Shelter from the storm